Hey now, I'm Greg Livingston, and this is the third and last in the Commune series of three podcasts on Gamescape 2015. Gamescape is a summer indie developer showcase in Baltimore, Maryland. Today, we'll be hearing from developers whose games are based on real life. Well, kinda. In that rock-paper-scissors game, players control one of three classic objects. Rock, paper, or scissors. If you're rock, you have to avoid paper and try to catch scissors. How does that rock-paper-scissors game keep competition even? And how does it keep competition varied? Here to answer our queries is... Anthony Powell with Philosophy. I'm a game designer in the Baltimore, Maryland area. Um, and I am currently working on a new project called That Rock, Paper, Scissors Game, which takes the core mechanics of rock, paper, scissors and brings it into a new space for multiplayer gaming. Nice. And uh, before we get to the questions proper, I just wanted to mention uh, both like seeing you in person and reading your comments online and even like looking at your uh, avatar on the Internet. Uh, you're a very positive person. It's refreshing. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, about that Rock, Paper, Scissors game, I wanted to ask about the flow of multiplayer, how you keep competition going, um, how you keep things interesting and also fair. So to start out, I wanted to ask, uh, that Rock, Paper, Scissors game is a three-player game. You have you have a rock player, you have a paper player, and you have a scissors player. And so uh, for the rock player, the... Uh, paper would be the predator element, the element that they're running away from, and the scissors would be like the prey element, the element they try to catch up to. And I was wondering how players generally respond to their prey element. How do they get them? Oh, so so basically it, uh, it, what I found was that um, a lot of gamers who are playing that rock, paper, scissors game uh, find that it's really about strategy. Um, the characters are all evenly balanced in terms of the pace that they move and the damage they can do to their prey and the damage that can be done to them by their predator. Uh, so really it boils down to one of the most purest psychological of games where players are really just trying to psych each other out um, and trying to predict uh, where their prey is going to end up and try to meet them there because the, the goal of the game is, as you explained, uh, if you're a rock, you have to smash into scissors, but avoid paper at all costs. Um, and there, there's some interesting uh, things that I see players doing in a in a game like this. Um, uh, one of one of which that I just mentioned, where uh, a lot of predicting uh, takes place. So, like Rock has to kind of look at the entirety of the room, um, has to kind of sort of see where paper is and see where scissors is, and uh, as he's chasing, as Rock is chasing scissors, uh, Rock kind of has a guess, okay, scissors can only move in so many spaces. Which one am I going to choose to try to meet them head on at and then smash into them? And so, like, and this is taking place for all three players uh, simultaneously. And uh, there's, like, this weird synergistic um, train of thought that's going on between the three players when they're chasing each other around. And stuff. So it's pretty interesting. When you say synergistic... Like, you mean because they're all observing the same game space and are aware of what the other player could be thinking? Precisely, precisely.
precisely. And uh, it's just really, really strange to see uh, players sort of uh, linking each other's minds together and um, and trying to read what the other player is going to try to do. Um, and, and most of uh, many many of the times, I mean, the, the players that are the most successful are the ones who can read the other players the best and either try to uh, meet a player head on or throw the other player off of where they're intending on uh, it, it, where they intend to go, you know? So rock is always trying to fool paper in terms of where paper may predict rock to be in like three seconds and stuff. I gotcha. There's some clever, uh, it's not just a, a player chasing their prey element. They can also seek to fake out the people chasing them or the person. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That that now that was unintended uh, uh, an unintended gameplay element uh, when initially designing the game. Like I was just thinking of it uh, as like a very crude way of let's pl- uh, playing tag, uh, where you're just trying to chase the other player. Um, but I find that the most successful players in that rock paper scissors game are ones who are uh, particularly good at uh, predicting where the other players are going to end up and meeting them there, and also uh, psyching the other player out, out and stuff. So have you ever seen, like, a rock paper getting scissors to kill paper for him? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we, uh, we, we have that quite often uh, with people who just start off playing the game, but they quickly forget that it's the player who has the highest score at the end of the match that wins. So uh, by, a, by if rock allowed scissors to get paper uh then scissors uh would most likely be the winner at the end of the match because they have the highest score and so i gotta uh, constantly remind you players remember it's the player who has the highest score at the end of the match that wins (laughs) so you want to ruthlessly go after your prey (laughs) while uh tirelessly avoiding the predator you know (laughs) i got you that's that's an interesting way of keeping the game engaging yeah, thank you. And it's funny because yeah, with this kind of mechanic, you end up protecting the person trying to kill you, you know? So, yeah, so that's got to be a funny balance. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I think that's where I guess the game might get some of this novelty from, is uh, you're, you're, uh, you're constantly trying to kill the player that's trying to kill the player that's trying to kill you, you know? <laughs> yeah, actually, you don't see too many uh, multiplayer games geared three-way you know you might have uh like a shooter where you might have squads with multiple people but it's still two main squads i don't think uh i've seen too many games that pit three players against each other equally Uh, i'm sure they're out there um i can't think of anything off the top of my head uh it was really the pure uh mechanics of rock paper scissors that inspired me to uh to want to make the rock that rock paper scissors uh trio uh mechanic along with the uh, like navigation uh, ins- inspiration that came from pac-man and snake and tron and things like that and I-, I get those a lot as well like this is just like pac-man i'm like yes yes <laughs> it <is."> <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really clean simple movement yeah four basic uh four directions i did initially start off with allowing the players to move freely in the level um, but that really got uh, 
like there, there, it, it wasn't as challenging. I mean, it actually, I mean, it was, it, it was very challenging to try to escape, you know, because players can chase you in any direction. It just wasn't as fun as uh, having players move in only four directions. You know, uh, it, it, it seemed to be a lot more challenging to, to attack a player because you're limited in the, the amount of directions you can go. And as and likewise, it's a lot easier to pick up and understand how to move around and stuff, you know. Okay. That's a that's a subtle distinction that um you had to keep things balanced between the predator and their prey by modifying, you know, just by taking out diagonal movement. Yeah. So there are also uh, items that players can collect in the game, right? Uh-huh. There's um there's power-ups in the game. Uh right now the game is going to ship with uh nine power-ups. You have uh like landmines, uh invisibility, uh dashing, invincibility. Uh the uh you can you have a printer that can clone copies of yourself, uh a big warhammer, laughing gas, uh lightning strike and a pickpocket power-up as well where you can steal uh uh, points from other players. Oh. So, how did you balance items against players without items? Oh, man. A lot of hard work. I mean, the power-ups were easily the most difficult thing that I've ever had to implement into the game. I mean, uh, just trying to keep them all balanced and having uh, power-ups that can um, negate other power-ups and stuff, you know, like, I really wanted that, I really wanted the power-ups to be characters in of themselves as well, to the extent and how they have a relationship with the other power-ups that are, that have been selected by players, like, um, like, for, for example, uh, if you are being, uh, let's say if you're being chased by a person, like, if you have invisibility and you're being chased by a character who has the ability to pickpocket you, um, when your character turns invisible, uh, the pickpocket, uh, the player no longer knows where to pickpocket. So even if they're close to you, they can't steal your points away from you because they don't know exactly where you are. Um, or, for example, if you have, if someone uses the lightning uh, power up against you and they create like a, a big lightning storm cloud above your character's head um, and the, the lightning doesn't know where to strike because your character is invisible and stuff. And uh, and just like just little things like that, um, make the game play much more interesting uh, when you're choosing uh, which power ups you should use and stuff. And also like uh, trying to keep the power up balanced by not dedicating any power up to any given player. Um, basically, uh, the three players get to choose which power up they want to have in the match, and uh, they uh, after they used it three times or if they successfully killed the player with the power-up, or if they died, uh, the po- they end up losing the power-up, and it goes back into a level for somebody else to grab. And so, like, I think with those mechanics so far, the game seems balanced between all the power-ups and stuff. But it's been very, very difficult to try to achieve that. Okay. So it sounds like each of the power-ups interacts with all of the other power-ups, maybe in a subtle but also meaningful way. Um, yeah. And it's also not, you know, power-up isn't an automatic win in that you need to be skillful with it. You only have three uses and you lose it if you die. 
Um, so it's not like the odds are unfairly stacked against the player without a power up. Yeah, that was the, that was the, the hope to uh, to try to achieve that. There might still need to be some work done on that, <laughs> but uh, but I keep finding th- new things to uh, to tweak with the power ups. So it's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I wasn't uh, clear on, like, so do players purposely choose power ups? Uh, yes, uh, you uh, you can choose before the match starts uh, one power up to bring uh, into the level. Um, so you always you, there always be three power ups available uh, in the level, and uh, players can just um, well, basically they'll just be sitting on the ground, and uh, a player has to run into it in order to obtain it, and then they would have to push the uh, the action button or the power up button to use the power up. And then, or they can discard the power up, and then pick up a different power up that they run into on the ground, and so it keeps the it keeps the power ups moving and flowing and stuff. You can you can end up using all three power ups at different times of the match, um, and it ju- it just keeps it all flowing. And that was just because we had um, we had landmines in the game. That was one of the first power ups we added, and um, uh, we found that it was quite unbalanced that players were able to just lay landmines all over the level and just take out their prey constantly. So we decided to limit it to just three landmines, and you lose the landmines the moment you successfully kill your prey with that landmine and stuff. And, um, and, uh, or you can discard it, or if your character dies, you end up losing uh, those landmines. They, they go back into its original place, and another player has to smash into it to grab it. Uh, and they can use it. Okay. So is that to say that a player might, you know, I might see my friend pick landmines, and so I choose the lightning because I think that's going to be good against landmines? Uh, well, it would most likely uh, be chosen because um, you, you would pick the lightning because uh, it's something that you can attack your prey with without having to step on a landmine. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, but if you and let's say if you pick the dashing instead of the um, uh, instead of the lightning, then you could you could while trying to attack your prey dash and step on a landmine and then end up blowing up and stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and so, when a player is losing, how hard is it for them to recover? Like, uh, do do winning players gain a significant lead, or is the match pretty even throughout? Well, actually, it's funny that you uh, mentioned that because um, uh, about midway through development of the game, we realized that, you know, if a player is actually really good, they can annihilate the board. If they're if they are good at both evading uh, and chasing uh, the Predators of the Brain, like, uh, they could really uh, get a serious point at points advantage. So one of the things that we had implemented, um, we, we had it turned off for simplicity's sake at the uh, at the um gamescape and, and other events but uh we have a special tax where underneath your character's uh hud uh there is a critical meter that's blue and um the more the more kills you get so for every kill that you get it goes up uh 25 percent i'm sorry 15 percent and every time you die it goes up 30 percent um so uh if your character is continuously dying, and uh, which would mean that the opposing player, your predator, uh, has a, a very large lead on you, 
then you can unleash a special attack. And if you can land, uh, if you can land that special attack, which is unique to your player, then it'll give you extra points, more points than you would get if uh, you were to use a power up. Um, and so that's sort of a, that. That's the best way that we have for balancing that out and stuff. Is by it, it's not a sure bet that you can land uh, or you can take out your prey with that special attack to give you extra points. Um, but if you can, uh, it will balance the the. It will give you a higher point increase um, than uh than you and, and it would make catching up a lot easier. That's an interesting consequence where. Naturally, I'm going to want to go after the other player and get them as often as I can. But in so doing, I give them fodder for a counterattack. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Now, it's not to say that the counterattack will get you every time. You do have uh, a lot of uh, many chances to avoid or, or evade the, uh, the attacks. Um, but uh, if you do get hit, then uh, you'll have to work a little harder to try to get to to try to get that lead again. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you. And so one last question, more conceptual, I like to run by everybody. When it comes to game design, not just uh, in that Rock, Paper, Scissors game, but in just in general talking about games, uh, what do you consider more important? The game itself, the intention of the developer, or the experience of the player? Hmm. Well, that's actually really good. I would probably say... Could, I mean, is it possible I can give two answers? Or Sure. It's just uh, however you like to answer. All right. Well, I will probably say um, it's like the intentions of the game developer are all well and good, but it always comes down to execution. And if, uh, if the execution of the game is good, uh, which is like the design is good, then that that matter that that makes a huge difference. But it's ultimately, I guess, uh, up to the perception uh, of all uh, of the players and stuff, you know. So the I so I can like I can design I can try to design the best uh, multiplayer uh, local multiplayer combat game I can, but uh, it's really in the eyes of the, each player who plays it that determines how good it actually is and stuff, you know. Um, so I think, ah, you know, it's hard. I would have to go between the first and the third. Um, uh, I would probably have to say that it is ultimately, you know, yeah, you know, it's ultimately up to the players that will determine what's uh, uh, the most important about your game, is how, how the players see it and stuff, how they respond to it. Okay. It's a, and... That's, a, that's such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> It's like an indirect communication where you, the developer, or you know, some developer, makes a game, and then the developer hopes that the game communicates whatever idea to the player on behalf of the developer. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for joining me. This has been an insightful interview. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for having me. I've I've, I've been waiting all week to, uh, to to for this interview. It's great to it's great to finally happen. Yeah, same here. I also just realized I forgot to ask if there was anything you would like to plug. Yeah, so if you're if you if anyone's interested in uh finding out more about that rock, paper, scissors game, you can check us out at facebook.com backslash philosophy, which is P H I L O S O P L A Y. Also you can check us out at twitter.com uh backslash philosophy. 
and youtube.com backslash philosophy as well. And uh, we also have a, uh, a Steam Greenlight campaign where we're trying to get as many votes as possible so that we can get our game onto Steam. Um, and uh, if you want to check out the Steam campaign, you can just uh, uh, go to our Facebook page or our, um, our Twitter handle. And in our description on Twitter uh, has the link for uh, that Rock, Paper, Scissors game Steam, Steam Greenlight campaign. So uh, thank you so much, y'all. And my name is Tony Powell with Philosophy. Nice. Thanks for sharing. That discussion with Anthony Powell reflects on a discussion we'll have about multiplayer balance in Splatoon. That's upcoming in episode 50. Immune defense puts players in control of your immune system, turning molecular biology into a real-time strategy game. Here, developer and PhD Melanie Stegman discusses the transition from specific, complicated biochemical functions to an entertaining, playable game. So, without further ado... I'm Melanie Stegman. I'm the owner of Molecular Jig Games. And, um, well, I'm a biochemist. I studied hedgehog signaling for all you biochemists out there. It's a really important pathway in in, uh, development and tumor development. So I used to talk to people about what I did, and nobody understood it. And they didn't even understand the basics. So I wanted to go into research, so uh, education, how to educate people better. Um, I got an NIH grant. I made a video game for a nonprofit think tank. We found that it teaches. We published a paper. And now, in the last year and a half, I've spun off my own indie game studio, and we're making Immune Defense, a biochemistry strategy game. Nice. <laughs> I, uh, I have to admit, playing Immune Defense made me feel a little weird in that, uh, like, watching your own cell die and then having to eat it, like, <laughs> it touched me emotionally in a way I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I wasn't expecting either that people get really upset when that first nature fill dies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so immune defense is based on real biochemical functions, I guess you would say. Absolutely. Um, it's biochemistry. And what difficulties were there in translating that, um, you know, I guess I, I think of it as like textbook stuff, but uh, what difficulties were there in, in translating that sort of specific sciencey stuff into a video game <laughs> there were plenty plenty of of difficulties the the most recurring difficult problem is convincing the development team who at the very beginning had much more experience than i did about games convincing them that yes this level of detail was actually going to be fun so what what happens is basically white blood cells have tens of thousands of different receptors on their surfaces they're just like covered, crawling in proteins, so many different kinds. And what I did was I simplified the cell. So now it has uh, three possible surface molecules at any given time, just three. You, you can change them so there's 15 total in all the different combinations, but there's only three different kinds. And and still everyone's complaining. Well, but it's still you know complicated. Like, yeah, well, even with three, it's uh, <laughs> it gets pretty hectic. Yeah. We've gone from ten thousand to three. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really complicated. So uh, we've done two things to make it less complicated, and that is um, one, start off slower with uh, fewer things to do, and. 
this, the second thing we do is add more, well, I guess you call them attaboys, and more feedback and more shiny, glowy things and, you know, more, um, more feedback, basically. When you click on an E. coli, it should glow and you should know you've, you've selected it. Every, every little tiny thing that you do in the game should be more fun to do. Okay, so going back to the beginning, making it making it more simple. When I first started making the game, we would uh, started out. We had cells and E. coli and proteins and all these things on the field. And if you wanted to know more, you could click on them, and the data panel on the bottom right of your GUI would tell you what they were. And I, I had no idea, and the and the people I was making the game with also had no idea that it was going to be so hard for anybody to figure out at all what the cells were, the proteins were. Um, so we spent about a year backing up, backing up, and making the gameplay simpler, 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 so that you start out with just a bacteria on the field, and that's the only thing there, and all you have to do is click on it to identify it. You can see it in the demo online. Uh, the first six levels there ramps up in complexity mm. pretty nicely. Yeah. I really wanted everyone to come away with the idea that this is a real game that it's fun. Fun was number one. I wanted it to be another strategy game that will keep you occupied for hours and keep you really engaged because it's it's always interesting. What else can I do? What else can I manage? Or what else am I going to have to fight? What other bad guys coming around the corner? I, I like that about strategy games. So I have to apologize. I've been um, up against a deadline for the past two days. I feel like my brain is all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it's like being a researcher? Uh, it's um, it's not research at the moment. It's I just got um, a new technical artist, game developer on board. He's going to be my partner, uh, making the commercial version of Immune Defense. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know, we have these talks. He's like, well, as long as the design plan is really well defined. And it'll, you know, it's something we can do in the nights and the weekends, and we can get this out in about a year. And of course, I'm like, oh yeah, it's totally well defined. It's all nailed down, really concrete. <laughs> <laughs> and so, for the past three days since I spoke with him, I've been, you know, deciding like I'll have three possible options for what should be on the GUI. I'm like, this, this is what's going to be on the GUI. I've got three possible options for, you know. What zoom state we use? One micrometer, 100 nanometers. Okay, these are the zoom states we're going to use. So I've just made 10,000 decisions in the past three days. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I can understand. Uh, as a programmer by trade, uh, things are more often than not uh, 10 times more complicated than you think they'll be. Oh, it's really true. It's really true. One of the things I've learned in the past eight years of trying to make a video game about biochemistry is when I think I've got it simplified and I think there's just a, you know, just one or two options and I'll ask the programmer or artist which one, which one they think would be great. You know, involve the team. And usually the stress of needing, of having to make that decision is so much more stress. No one really feels more engaged because I've asked the question. They they really just kind of feel like freaked out. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and a little more so too because it's like we're talking about E. coli and what they're supposed to look like. You know, it's not like we're talking about X-wing fighters that everybody's familiar with or 
that kind of thing. So it's a little bit like nobody wants to tell me what they think E. coli should look like because they don't want to screw it up. But, you know what I mean? There's a added pressure there. So do they look to you as the uh, the expert? Yeah, yeah, which is great and horrible because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like an expert on E. coli. I know exactly what they look like. I know exactly why when you take a picture with a microscope of an E. coli, why it doesn't look right and how we should correct it in our art. But I keep getting confused between the word material and the word texture. You know, I'm... I'm barely holding on to the word JPEG and TIFF. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a giant gap between us when we try to communicate. Our our Venn diagrams of knowledge barely overlap. Huh. And it's very difficult. It's really, really difficult. And it's odd that in eight years, it it's getting better, but it's such a slow pace. You two are, the, the two factions are starting to meet in the middle, maybe? I feel like I, I've worked with several different developers um, to make to make the version of immune defense you see now. I've had three major uh, programmers and two sets of artists and it was mostly a company called Cosmosite that I hired with my grant money from the NIH. And um, I've, I've learned a lot. And the programmers, Alec, uh, <laughs> Alex Layden, I think he knows immunology now better than I do. <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's got it all coded. He's like, well, E. coli do this because that's how I coded it. Uh, Staphylococcus, you know, can divide outside of cells. But that's how I coded it. So he's, like, created a, a whole immunological situation. <laughs> Weird. So uh, instead of, you know, someone who's simply studied what E. coli does, he's actually made a virtual E. coli and knows it from the inside out. Yeah, yeah. I told him what E. coli does. He coded it, and so he he really knows. Whatever I said about E. coli, he knows by heart. <laughs> <laughs> and and I know, like, um, 10,000 things about E. coli, and he knows five that he coded. And so he'll say, what about this? And I'll think of all the other things that are true about E. coli, before I think of the five that we've actually nailed down in the game. And I think it's it's um it's good that the game is simpler. It's good that we've we've nailed down some facts. And I've yeah, I've just really tried hard for those five facts to be the fundamental core ones you need to know. And I guess I've learned more about technical art and programming and programmers have definitely learned a lot more immunology. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, when you talk about narrowing down 10,000 things to five, mm. is that like uh, when you were talking about having the rece- like having only three possible receptors at once? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the cool thing about biochemistry, I'll tell you, the cool thing is that you have an organism or a cell or something, and it has a bunch of different proteins, and you can take one of those proteins away, and now... Now the cell can't do something. There's a function that's missing. Or maybe it gained a function. You remove one protein and now another protein can do what it was trying to do. So that's biochemistry. You, you've got an organism and you poke at it and see what it does. So I wanted to give you a cell that did cool stuff, like move around and kill pathogens and do, do other things. And, and things that you could see it doing, things that you could be motivated 
to accomplish. And then I would let you uh, change what it can do and by changing the proteins on its surface. So I chose three categories of things. One is move, one is get yourself activated, and the other is do your job. So with those three categories, you can choose one of five different proteins in each category. So you can move, you can move uh, with a purple receptor, and that'll let you follow purple cytokines that are leading you in some direction. You could take off all your move receptors, and then you won't go anywhere. You can put on your activation receptor so that any activating molecules in the area will run into your receptor and you'll eventually get activated. And um, your job receptor, your first job receptor, is the thing that sticks to E. coli so that you can eat it. That is, that's how I narrowed it down. So in our game, moving, getting activated, and sticking to bacteria or different kinds of pathogens, those are your key things that you need to do. And those are like pretty simple things that anyone might understand after having played a video game. Uh, <laughs> it's just moving and eating stuff. Yeah. I'm a true believer in uh, George Fan's uh, method of introducing the things in your video game. So, like... Your cell should do what it what it does. You should see it happen. If you put this receptor on, then the cell should move, and and it really works. Um, if the players realize that they're the one that put those receptors on the cell, and then it starts moving, they realize that they caused it to move. And it might it might take them a couple more times to realize that it's because of the purple proteins in the area. That's why it's moving. But everything that can happen that is is visible and available to be modified by the player. It's good feedback. Yes. Basically, immune defense, would you call it like a cliff notes of uh, immunology? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, what, it's all the things you need to know to enter into any conversation about immunology. So, yeah, it's good cliff notes because, like, you know all the characters... You know, you're going to know all the cells. You're going to know basically all the different jobs the cells do, all the different um, possible receptors they can have. But um, there's a lot more subtlety to it. So if you had read the book about immunology, you'd realize that there are thousands of receptors and you can follow hundreds of different cytokines. You can't, it's not just five different ones. Um, it, you would just realize it's a lot more complicated. Right. It's more uh, like you know, the introductory chapter than the whole mm -hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually the whole book. Like, a lot of the things that we're presenting to you, no one's going to teach you until you go to graduate school for immunology. Like, no one's going to introduce you to um, a natural killer cell and its actual mechanism of killing. Hmm. That is not something you are ever going to see in, a, um, in an introductory chapter. It's, it's something that's in Chapter 15 or something. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, that's the thing about making a video game about biochemistry. And, and that's really the heart of why there is no other biochemistry video game. Because we don't really absolutely know for sure what exactly natural killer cells are doing. You, you, can't, um, you can't really do an experiment on one natural killer cell. You have a plate full of them, and then you're always going to have other things in the environment. Uh, you can't really look inside of your tissue and see what natural killer cells are doing. <laughs> yeah. And so 
well, two things. I picked and chose, you know, what core things, and and I, and I made sure that we weren't teaching anything that could be confusing. So that when when you do take freshman biology or advanced immunology, um, the teachers are going to tell you things like, well, actually, this these other things happen, and you won't be uh, confused. You'll know the principle that natural killer cells are investigating and they're looking around and they're trying to find infected cells. And what the teacher's going to end up telling you is all the other ways that natural killer cells have for finding infected cells. And, and you're going to know, uh, I've got infected cells, I need to find them, this natural killer cell is all I've got to find them, I wish I had some better ways. Then you're going to go to immunology class and they'll be like, look at all these other ways. And, and <laughs> And you'll be like, wow, this is this all fits. It all works. Does this make sense? Yeah, it's uh, there's not many games about immunology because uh, even as someone with a doctorate, you're explaining <laughs> that there are difficulties in translating it. Ah, yeah, that was the second thing I was just going to say. Um, I end up having conversations with other people who have doctorates and they work on natural killer cells or cytokines. And I say to them, what would one natural killer cell do? And they write to their friends, and there's a whole <laughs> string of emails where people are going, that's a really funny question. I I don't know. Because <laughs> we talk like uh, scientists. Like we argue from example. Like, well, when I did this experiment, this is what happened. And I assume it was because of this and this and this. But it wasn't one natural killer cell by itself. You know? Nobody, nobody knows. <laughs> That's I'm sorry. Cool. No. Yeah, I I think it's cool. I feel like I'm really out of it. I feel like I um should have begged off and told you I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is going well. Cool. Um, so next, I wanted to talk about the paper you wrote about immune attack. Um, mm -hmm. Am I right in understanding that you sent out this game to um, students in elementary or I think it was middle school and uh, studied how much they played the game, how well they performed in the game, and how much uh, more confident they were in reading, I guess you would say, high-level immunology diagrams. <laughs> yeah. What we did was we had them play the game for 40 minutes, and then a week later play it for 40 minutes again, and then the day after that I would give them a test. And uh, we had the teachers would give immune attack to half of the students, and the other half got a different game that didn't teach anything about cells or proteins. And so I was able to find out if my 7th graders or 12th graders or in between um, remembered the names of proteins, the names of cells, remembered uh, what the cell was trying to do, remembered what things you needed to look for in order to get to a certain place to move the cell and what you were trying to eat. And then I had, I wrote, actually wrote 27 multiple choice cell biology immunology questions and I had to go to really advanced questions because the kids answered all of them right so I had to make up some pretty tough questions things like what is the difference between a T cell and a neutrophil and you know the answer is that Cells differ because they have different proteins. Their DNA is the same. They have different proteins. And this is a standard that everybody's supposed to learn in high school. Yeah. And if you meditate and think about it for a little while, you can remember that. But 
you've never never really thought about the difference between a protein and a piece of DNA. Like it doesn't really mean anything to you. But if you've played the game and realized that your cells really are different because they have different proteins on them, then that, that question is easier to answer. So we found that the kids that played Immune Attack uh, could remember the names and the concepts. They knew that the thing they were supposed to be finding was a protein. It wasn't a lipid. And and then when I showed them these complicated diagrams from immunology reviews, nature series of journals, the kids that had played Immune Attack answered that um, they thought they would be able to understand this complicated diagram. So I didn't ask them what it was about. I just asked them to say on a scale of one to five, do you think that you could understand this if you read it? Right. If I remember correctly, you phrased it as a, uh... They were more confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because most people ask, "Do you want to be a scientist?" And most most people ask, you know, "Do you like science?" or "Do you think a science career is for you?" And that's all good and everything. But what is science? Uh, what I wanted to know was, "Do you think this stuff, these cells and proteins, these things that you've just been playing with, do you think they're something that you can understand?" And that's just with uh, two 40-minute sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made a huge difference, statistically significant. And um, the, the difference was uh, bigger if the kids reported being game players. So if they played one to, one to 20 hours a week, they were more likely to be confident. And then the kids who did not play games did not gain confidence. They didn't lose confidence, thank God. But they also <laughs> didn't gain confidence. So um, when I looked at learning, I compared the kids who reported zero hours per week of games versus one to five versus five to 25. And um, with learning, all the kids learned significantly more than the controls. So that was, that was nice. Even the kids who said, this game's hard to play, I don't play games, and those kids also, none of them gained com- confidence they still learned. Yeah, just by uh, just by being exposed. Yeah, yeah. So the game, the game still taught them and did not take away their confidence. Like immune attack is is a much different game from immune defense. So you can play immune attack at immuneattack.org, PC only. It's a flying game. It's third person shooter. You play inside the body. You have to uh, use your keyboard and your mouse, and it's a it's a lot for someone who doesn't game. You know, to be uh, right-clicking and driving the ship around inside the vessel. Yeah, that's some serious hand-eye coordination. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you only have 40 minutes and you're in front of all your friends. And um, (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty stressful. So I was really afraid that uh, the non-gamer kids would be like, oh, God, immunology is so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Keep crashing and burning all the time. (laughs) Is this what grad school is like? (laughs) <laughs> that is what grad school's <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. So, so they did not lose confidence, and they they gained confidence. So I was happy. Well, that's good. Hmm. Um, the other thing that we knew is they were learning everything with through them. Uh, everything they ha- had to find, they could remember the name of. They knew neutrophils in, the, in that game were green, and uh, they did not know uh, things that they did not need to find. So I wanted to ask, um, on the topic of 
teaching, how are immune attack and immune defense different from stereotypical, uh, quote-unquote, edutainment games? Well, it's really easy. Um, most, most games, most learning games, are marketed to the teachers and to the schools. And if you need the school to pay you money, you, you need to do what the school wants in order to sell your product. And my product is marketed towards you and the seventh graders and, the, and, and me, you know, people who, who like games. And I'm not going to pay you if it's not fun. You know, I, I might pay you to, for my kid to play it if I think that they might do it. But, you know, basically, my, I need to be fun and learning, is, learning needs to be in there. Uh, if you're going to market a game to, to a school, the teacher needs to know exactly what the kids are learning and exactly how much time it's going to take. And they basically need an output device. You know, they need a, a test at the end that they can say the, the kids answered these questions, therefore they know these answers. And we don't have that. Immune Attack was, was built with, um, there's no questions in it. There's no test at the end. You might and, say that the test is the gameplay, just succeeding. Yeah, you can say that, and that's great. And, and actual regular people believe that. And so uh, people are going to buy immune defense because they believe that. They're like, oh, I played this. But teachers can't rely on that. They can't say, like, oh, well, you know, they played some level with neutrophils and it's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And teachers also don't have time to play a video game. You know, it's like if you're a game reviewer, you spend a lot of time playing games and you want to cheat code damn it so you don't have to beat level three so you can move on to level four and it's the same with teachers they don't have time you know to play every level of all these games so what they really need is um straightforward here are these here are the standards here's what's being taught here's the test that the kids can take and and so what you end up with is you know a real edutainment kind of game where it's pretty fun to play if you're trapped in school, but it's not that fun to play if you're not trapped in school. Yeah. And um, I really wanted immune defense to be fun from the beginning, and so I um, play-tested it with kids. And at first we were testing in school, and we were like, wow, they love this game. And then you test it outside of school where, you know, they're not forced to sit. (laughs) And you find out that you've got a long way to go in the fun department. Uh, yeah, real-time strategy games. I mean, mm. yeah, they're kind of complicated. Yeah, they are complicated. And that is, that's another thing that I'm, you know, battling with. I really am aiming for a mid-core game. And we have a pretty decent hardcore game. But uh, I want it to be something that the average person will pick up and play because I want the average person to know what proteins are and what receptors are. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm redoing the GUI. That's the major change we're making in the game, so that you click on a cell and the menu pops up right next to it. There's no, you know, you're not, you don't have to use your strategy game GUI where the data shows up way down at the bottom. We're going to let you click on it and get the data right next to it. And I'm, uh, we're also changing it up a bit so that you can see the molecules that are on the pathogens and you can see the molecules that are on the cells and you'll be able to see the interactions between them. And then um, those two things are going to make it more of a mid-core game. Still complicated, all the interactions, all the things you do are still really complicated, but 
following the George Fan principle. Things will be there and you can see them working and having their effect. Yeah, that sounds like it, it'll make it a lot easier to get into when, um, yeah. you know, if I can click on something and see my options as opposed to having to parse this bar at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, it's really true. And, and it's really funny because people who see the game and like it, they're the strategy gamers. If they've played StarCraft backwards and forwards, they're like, oh, my God, this game is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think I played all of two missions in StarCraft. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, I actually was talking to someone who judged the game out of thing, and he voted no for the thing, and he felt really bad because all these people were standing around enjoying it at the thing. You know, we got in, and he's like, I didn't like it. And I'm like, do you like strategy games? He's like, no, never played them. I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a trick to take complicated stuff and make it uh, really mid-core without – you know, not really simplifying it. I really want you to feel like it's a cool, neat, intricate. I, but I don't want you to just be like, well, there's two buttons. I'll just push one and see what happens. I want you to, like, think or feel that you're making some kind of informed decision. It's that sweet spot where you have the player engaged. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sweet spot. Okay. We're also thinking with that we'll have a tablet version that might be simpler, might have a much more like, oh, just get the cell to go here and go there and not really worry so much about all the details. So we'll think we'll hit a broader audience. We'll, we'll, we'll sneak this knowledge of receptors <laughs> into many different formats. So I was curious, um, do you know Jesper Jewell? Huh, I looked him up because you mentioned him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. He's this guy that writes about video games, and uh, he has this neat idea that games are, he, he says, half real, where mm -hmm. there are real rules because uh, when you play Space Invaders, you shoot an alien, you actually, the, there are points in the game that accrue, but yeah. um, you're playing Space Invaders, and so the half real <laughs> part is that, uh, you know, it's not actually space aliens inside the arcade cabinet. Yeah. Um, so with Immune Attack... You simulate, or actually with both immune attack mm. and immune defense, you're, uh, that, that fake half is kind of not fake anymore because now you're simulating factual interactions. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering if you had any thoughts regarding that barrier between fiction and reality. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about <laughs> 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 that. <laughs> Really a lot, because a, a lot of people, like their first gut reaction, well, first of all, every single person says, is it for fun or is it for learning? Every single person. There's a giant division, apparently, between fun or learning. And then a lot of people say, like, well, if you keep it real, it won't be fun. And then I always say, what if we were making a, a Star Wars game, you know? And if I made the Death Star really close to Tatooine, you you would be outraged, and and I would say like, well, it's more fun this way because it's easier to get to the Death Star, <laughs> <laughs> and you would be completely outraged. So like, <laughs> there's a reality there that matters, really, really matters to everybody, and that's the, it's imaginary. Like even your um, Space Invaders guys, you know, they all go in the same direction. If they went in different directions, it wouldn't be the same game. So it is imaginary, but even the imaginary part is 
is rigid. There's there's always like rigid bits. And so I, re I really think that the fantasy worlds that we develop, as soon as it's developed, it's got rules. You know, it's still fantasy. It's not really there. It's just pixels on a screen. But um, those worlds are complete with governments and, and rules and languages and instantly as soon as we make them. And the and the thing about molecular biology is it's a it's a world. It's a giant, fantastic inner space. You know, it's it's like Middle Earth. It's it's somewhere that's really hard to define where it is. But there's all these characters that have different traits and different jobs, and there's tribes of them. All the purple receptors bind to cytokines, and <laughs> always going to do this one thing and. It's a whole new fantasy world with its rules and randomness and things that happen for different reasons that we can't relate to because we're not in that world. And that's why I really think I've basically made a fantasy game, a brand new strategy game in a fantasy world. You've taken biochemistry and given it the allure of, uh, you know, Tolkien back lore. Mm-hmm. That's what I really think, like... Nobody really wants to play another dwarves-based strategy game. <laughs> <laughs> we need a new strategy. Yeah, where's a dwarf fortress? Or, uh, I mean, protein fortress. <laughs> yeah, I, protein fortress would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've got dwarf fortress. I met the guys that made it. They loved immune defense. Oh, nice. That was so awesome. I know. Yeah. I was like, so, the, so like... All the geeks in the world really like immune defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scientists love it. We were at Gamescape in Baltimore, and like five different groups of uh, of people. Cause Gamescape is a is an add on to a, a festival called Artscape in Baltimore, Maryland. And so we get a lot of people there who are not gamers, and they wander in, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to med school here at Johns Hopkins," or oh. you know, I'm a nurse at the hospital. And or I'm doing research. We had three different groups of graduate students and postdocs who were like, oh, my God, there's TNF. Grab it. You need to have <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was really awesome. Really awesome. Because, you know, the, the big cool guys with the party games, they're all like, what's going on over there? What's that uh, strategy game getting so much attention? <laughs> that didn't even hit me that uh, Johns Hopkins is right down the street there. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, you got to know your audience. <laughs> so one last question before we part. Uh, this question is about just game design in general, um, not necessarily related to uh, immune defense or immune attack in specific. When it comes to game design, which do you consider more important? The game in itself, the intention of the developer, or the experience of the player? I I can't get past the experience of the player. Is if I make a game and you don't like it, then it's not a good game because you don't like it. It really doesn't matter what I think of it. It's sort of like the color red looks pukey to you if the <laughs> color red looks pukey. <laughs> so if you don't like my game, then then you're in a world where this game is not fun. Uh, and when I play a game, if I if I don't like it, I don't care what the developer was trying to do. Yeah, and I think this is the simplistic version you know, of game philosophy, this is like, you know, the simplest interpretation of this literature version is like, well, if there's no fun, it, it, then I don't like it. Uh, like, like I played Papers, Please, and I really like what the 
author was trying to do. It was really neat putting you in someone's shoes and letting you see how things work. But I hate filling out forms. I hate comparing numbers. And you need to correctly identify numbers and, and match forms in order to get to the cool parts where you get to lie and cheat and take bribes. And so I didn't like the game. <laughs> yeah. It, it's almost actually getting back to your response about um, the difference between the immune games and edutainment games that, uh, in your experience, people were learning better if it was actually catered to them. Mm. I don't exactly know what you mean. But... So, like, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. how an edutainment game is typically marketed towards a school, whereas the immune defense game is geared more towards the person who's actually going to be playing it. So yes. it, it would count the experience of the player as most important. That is absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And I, I don't think I made that point as clear as you just did. <laughs> <laughs> but people definitely learn better if the game's engaging, if it's repetitive. You know, they have to do the same thing uh, several times, you know, that kind of thing. And, and if they want to do the same thing, if they go back and replay it, or or explain to their friend how to do it, you know, or make fun of the next guy who can't manage it. Like if it's so engaging you don't wanna you don't wanna stop watching the computer even though it's not your turn anymore, you're gonna learn more. And then that really happens. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Player experience is everything. <laughs> <laughs> well it's been it's been good talking to you. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, uh actually, before we go, um I should ask if there's anything you would like to plug. Oh, yes, I do have something I would like to plug. We, Immune Defense, is still on Indiegogo. You can go to ImmuneDefenseGame.com, ImmuneDefenseGame.com, and you can find all, of, all about our game, and you can still buy advanced copies for 10 bucks, And for $15, you can get a copy of every game I make in the future. So when I make that new... Uh, MMO that takes place in the molecular world. <laughs> you get to play an enzyme, you'll get a free copy. <laughs> yeah. Molecular jig games. We need you. Nice. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Next time we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. The next game we play is the Sega CD version of Popful Mail, which I don't think a single one of us liked. Oh well. If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune at gmail.com.